Welcome back to Behind the Screens. I'm Ryan Proventure. I'm Simon Burton. And I'm Matthew Liebman. Matthew, you were at the Australian Movie Convention. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. How did it go? Yeah, look, it was the first time on the Gold Coast uh, in a few years since uh, pre the pandemic. My first time up there in 10 years, and it's under uh, new leadership, under Cameron Mitchell, who did an awesome job rebooting the convention. Everyone was buzzing. We were lucky enough to have a pretty prominent place. Our CEO, Stuart Dickinson, gave a keynote speech. Um, I was lucky enough to moderate a panel on evolving audiences with an all-star cast of Australian exhibitors and distributors, as well as representatives from Google and the academic sector. Richard sat on a Richard Greenwood, sorry, sat on a panel uh, around marketing, and it was just great to see friends and family back where the convention belongs on the Gold Coast. So, all in all, a great show. I'm still on a bit of a high as I wade through my emails. Um, but a little less exciting on your side of the Pacific where the strike drags on beyond 115 days now. A- anything you're hearing up there? Well, first of all, it's the Australian International Movie Convention. So apologies to everyone who heard that incorrectly. We are at, a, at 116 days. We're not quite there yet. It seems like we're getting closer and closer to the finish line. I'm not a huge fan of last best final offer in anything that's suggested to someone. It's, it seems like that's, to me, seems like a, a kind of weird negotiation tactic, but hopefully they can start to see eye, eye to eye. You know, their artificial intelligence has been what everyone has been talking, both in politics. I mean, I, I saw a show last night that said AI is going to be a part of all of the major elections across the world in the next year. And Artificial intelligence is only going to be increased in movies, so it has to at least be sorted out for the next couple of years here. But I think we're getting close. I would like to believe that we'll be somewhere in the next week or so. This should be hopefully resolved and people can get back to promoting movies and making movies, which is what's really important. It would be interesting. Timothy Chalamet is hosting Saturday Night Live this weekend. If it's if it's done in time, he'll be able to uh, talk about Wonka. Otherwise, he's not going to be saying much. Yeah, look, I was glad you elaborated on AI uh, and called it artificial intelligence to begin with. I thought you meant Australian International, oh, given the, the movie convention. But the other thing is, um, to be fair, I successfully proposed to my wife with a last best and final offer. So um, it can sometimes get traction. You're an exception to the rule, but I'm glad I'm glad that worked out yeah, for you, Matthew. Yeah. That's great. It, she was feeling charitable. Berto, quite weak at the box office. It looked like um, the fourth lowest performing domestic weekend. No surprises given it was meant to be the Dune Part 2 weekend. But, you know, what are you seeing when you look at the numbers? Yes, it was a pretty quiet weekend this past weekend at the domestic box office. Five nights at Freddy's remained in top spot but had an enormous drop of 76% its opening weekend to gross an additional $19 million, bringing its cube to $113 million. In second position, Taylor Swift with another $13.6 million, only a 12% drop on last weekend with a total cube of $166 million. In third place, Killers of the Flower Moon with nearly $7 million and a 26% drop in its third week at the box office. The new wide opener this past weekend was Radical in fifth position with $2.6 million dollars. In fourth position, Priscilla um, widening its release to 1,359 screens this past weekend, taking $5.1 million. Ryan, why don't we take a look at the audience that turned out for Priscilla? It was an interesting audience, not unexpected, but there was a little bit of uh, uh, 
an age difference that we didn't, I, I don't think everyone expected. Some of the comps were interesting. We had Bottoms, uh, Elvis, no surprise there, Killers of the Flower Moon, Dumb Money, Barbie, Asteroid City, No Hard Feelings, and Don't Worry Darlings. So a little bit of an eclectic feel in terms of the audience. Um, this was a little one harder. Uh, I, when you looked at Elvis, Elvis was a kind of a different audience and was a number, it was a couple of years ago. So decided to look at actually Don't Worry Darlings that sort of had a similar feel with it. And so we're going to look at those. The first movie is going to always be the Priscilla and the second one is going to be Don't Worry Darlings. In Frequence, and understandably, Don't Worry Darlings was a little bit more in during the pandemic. In Frequence were 23% for Priscilla compared to 29% for Don't Worry Darlings. Occasional 26% compared to 33%. Frequent moviegoers were 38% compared for Priscilla compared to 34% for Don't Worry Darlings. And there was quite a bit of very frequent people that came out to Priscilla at 13% compared to 4% for Don't Worry Darlings. Again, you have to remember that Don't Worry Darlings did come out much more so into the pandemic. Uh, what was what was interesting was the, the female skewing younger audience definitely came out for this film. 12 to 17 was 6% compared to 13%. So not the really young audience, but the 18 to 24 was 23% of the audience, the most percentage of, of all of it. So young people did want to go out to see this film. They did want to see Don't Worry Darlings as well, which was 28%. 25 to 34 was 19 to 18%, so almost the same there. 35 to 44, 11 to 10. 45 to 54, 13 to 12, all very similar here. And again, 55 to, 60, 55 to 64, 13 to 10%. What we did see, although interestingly, was a higher percentage for the 65 and older. We did have 14% compared to 8% for Don't Worry Darlings. So what you saw here was the 18 to 24 range was 20 and the 25 to 34, you know, that was quite a bit of the audience there. And then you had the, a little bit of an older audience at 65 and plus at, at uh, 14%. Females were 56, 57% of the audience, not a surprise there, compared to 59% for Don't Worry Darlings. So a lot of good comparison in that they were very similar but this is a, a definitely a female skewing uh, audience. And I would recommend if you're promoting this film in the second week and you weren't kind of hitting that younger female audience, that might be one to hit for this one. And maybe even, you know, a targeted campaign for that and then one for the 65 and older audience as well. Um, certainly there's some room in between, but that's, a, that's at least a, somewhat of a marketing idea for the second week of Priscilla. Yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise. You mentioned the the age and the gender separately. I, I took a quick look at the 18 to 34-year-old female. So I combined the age and the gender. And, you know, across all movies in their opening weekend, that age group's only 15% of the audience. It was up 24% for Priscilla, that 18 to 34. Um, walking into it, I would have assumed you're looking at a, an older, potentially female skewed, almost independent cinema perspective. But those comp titles you give, uh, plus that age group, you know, suggests this this is a, a much different audience than at least I guessed and, and maybe others out in the market did as well. So good tip there, Ryan. Um, Simon, the international market was behaving a little differently with some different films in the mix than what we've got domestically. What jumped out outside uh, the US and Canada? Uh, good point, Matt. The Universal DreamWorks animation film Trolls Band Together uh, it's released in 54 international markets now. It took another $13.2 million this past weekend to bring its international queue to 57. 
million dollars, and that drop was only 14% on the prior week, so pretty strong hold internationally. The top markets internationally are the UK with $15.5 million, France with $9 million, and Germany with nearly $5 million. We've got Italy and Australia releasing latest this month, and then Korea in December with the domestic release on November 17th. Yeah, I think there's some big markets still to come and, you know, again, a dearth of, of kids' films. So no doubt this franchise will do well. Simon, um, we've finally got some some more exciting uh, releases coming in next week with the Marvels. Um, it, it's getting a bit of buzz out in the trades that it's tracking below Captain Marvel, which, you know, by all accounts was, was a tremendous success. So less than Captain Marvel's not um, a failure by any stretch of the imagination. But what are you seeing in terms of pre-sales for the Marvels? The pre-sales have been pretty consistent over, over the last week and it's tracking uh, slightly behind the Eternals, uh, which was a November release in 2021. I think that opened to about 75 or $80 million. Uh, and they're right in line with Black Adam, which grossed $67 million. So I've seen some industry forecasts around the 75 to $80 million feels like it will be uh, on the slightly low end of that of that estimate, looking at the pre-sales at this point in time, four days before release. Yeah, and looking at the pre-sale audience composition to the last Captain Marvel, so comparing the two titles, and just to call out, we're looking at pre-sales versus pre-sales. Um, we are seeing a slightly different audience. Before I jump into the numbers, just to caveat that a pre-sales audience is different from an in-season one. So this will morph over time. But one of the things that's jumped out to me is that the less frequent moviegoers, those that fall into our occasional and infrequent bucket for the Marvels coming up this week, is sitting at 59% versus 67% for Captain Marvel. And just to call out that you really need more of those infrequent or less frequent moviegoers to blow a box office out. And so that might be an indication here that uh, we're seeing a, a slightly less level of interest at the moment. We're also seeing slightly smaller group sizes. So uh, the original Captain Marvel, uh, about 28% of all admissions came in groups of three to four people. It's 23% uh, at the moment for the Marvels. And so we're also seeing a little bit of that smaller group size as well as the less frequency coming in. When I have a quick look at the, the age and gender, there is um, a little bit higher at the moment for this, this film in the uh, 25 to 44 category than before. Most of that coming at the 35 to 44%. There's five points extra coming for this film. So I guess one of the more positive things here is that it looks like maybe it held at least the core audience and carried them through. Uh, they've aged into another bracket in the intervening period. Um, and we're seeing that the male audience, especially in that 25 to 44 age group, is pretty strong. And there was some unfair troll-based backlash for the first film looks like at least for the, the audience composition to date, that really hasn't morphed its composition uh, all that much. So, you know, fingers crossed we see uh, a good result here. The only other title releasing next week is Journey to Bethlehem, a faith-based title with Antonio Banderas in it. We've had great success in recent times with faith-tinged titles in the domestic market. So hopefully a combination of it and the Marvels uh, sees us get a little bit of a heartbeat coming into the box office and of course, fingers crossed for the end of that actor strike and that the stars can finally start promoting these titles in the rush through to Christmas. Ryan and Simon, thank you again for your time. It's nice to be all back together again. 
Thank you for listening. And to those who came up um, in the conference and said you listened while we're in Australia, thank you again for tuning in. And we'll catch you all next week behind the screens. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, the world-leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow Movio, Numero and Vista Group on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Screens podcast is produced by Grace Furness and edited by Patrick Hanna.